Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Uh, man, we're in our study. If you're new, we've been studying the Beatitudes. Jesus' first sermon uh, is called the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts with these nine statements that, that lead to this blessed life. And if we were to ask you, if you were to ask anyone, uh, what do you really want out of life? They might give you some variations of, of answers, but if you could kind of boil it all down, ultimately, I think what most human beings want in life is happiness. I just want to be happy. And, and Jesus, it's not coincidence then that Jesus starts out this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, by letting you know how you can be happy, how you can be blessed. Each of the nine statements starts with this word blessed. It's the Greek word makarios. And, and it means blissful. It means to be, literally means to be happy. And so Jesus lays out for us what, what you and I, what all the human race have longed for, this pathway to happiness. But, but, but a lot of people miss it because this, this pathway to the blessed life, this makarios life, it's on this pathway that is a very peculiar pathway that, that seems a little bit upside down. So we're going we're gonna to begin by reading uh, these words of Jesus, how we can experience this blessed life. We'll be studying Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse 6 today. So if you would, uh, why don't you stand up to your feet with me in honor uh, of God's word. We believe that when we, we open God's word, God's going to speak to us. And the power, just a disclaimer, the power is not in the understanding of God's word, but rather the application of God's word. So both are combined. It's like the, the right left. This is it's understand it so that we can we can apply it. And here's what it says. Whenever we get to the red letter words, if you would read those out loud, really loud, really proud with me. But I'm going to read the, the whole chapter here. It begins in verse 1. It says, Now when the crowds went up on the, when we saw the crowds went up on a mountainside and he sat down, his disciples came to him and he, he began to teach them. And here's this pathway to this blessed life that you and I want. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now help me with this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Father, we thank you for your word today. And God, I pray that you would speak to us. A lot of people in this room, very different places in their spiritual journey, people joined online, just, just peeking behind the curtain to see what this whole God thing's about. But God, I pray wherever we are that you'd speak to us, that you'd minister to us at our point of need in a way that only you can. And God, we're going to give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you're seated, why don't you turn to someone next to you and say, you can be satisfied. You can be satisfied. You can be satisfied. And then you can have a seat. Do we have any U2 fans in the house? Any U2 fans? Okay, a couple of us here. Those online, maybe put in the chat. But U2, if you're uh, of a younger generation, U2, they came out with this album called Joshua Tree in 1987. And initially when it was released, obviously there wasn't the digital platform available, so it was released on cassettes and CDs. And Joshua Tree has sold over 25 million albums. 
The album was number one for several months in several different countries, not just the U.S., but around the globe. This, this album went viral, and since the digital age, millions upon millions of downloads of, of Joshua Tree have taken place on Spotify and Amazon Music and iTunes, and the list goes on. The band is worth $1.8 billion. The lead singer, Bono, is worth $700 million. And one of the reasons for U2's raging success is that their lyrics speak to the deep longings of the human heart. And one of those lyrics that maybe you've heard before goes a little something like this. And lyrics like that just resonate deeply with the human condition. We long for something. We long to be satisfied. But we still haven't found what we're looking for. And as a result, that, that song alone has more than 187 million views on YouTube today. But here in one sentence, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus prescribes a solution to the deepest longing of the human heart so that you can find what you've always been looking for. He puts it this way. He says, blessed, happy, content, satisfied are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You'll find what you've always been looking for. The, the living Bible puts it this way. Happy are those who long to be just and good, for they shall be completely satisfied. The New Century Version puts it this way. Those who want to do right more than anything else are happy because God will fully satisfy them. So really this message is dedicated to all those here in the room, all of you watching online or listening to this podcast at a later time who say, man, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You're, you're here and like you've, you've scratched the itch a little bit, but you're like, man, I, there's something else. I just know there's more. This message is dedicated to you. Jesus uses this metaphor of hunger and thirst, which I think is brilliant because your boy loves food. And, uh, and, and if you ever need a good spot to eat, just ask me. I got, I got a list. And, uh, and we, we went on vacation. My favorite things to do on vacation, try new food spots. So we spent a week eating good barbecue uh, back in the Midwest. And if you're ever in Kansas City, I got a list for you that you got to hit. Um, but, but I love I love food. And I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever been in this place that you, you're hungry, but you don't really know what you're hungry for. Like maybe you've gone to the fridge or you, maybe you've seen someone do this. Maybe not you, but you, they open the fridge and they're looking. They're like, I'm so hungry. And the fridge is full of food, but they're like, we don't have anything to eat. Nothing. I mean, what? I just had this hunger, but it can't be satisfied here. Or maybe you've been to the Cheesecake Factory and you've seen their 800-page menu and it all looks good and nothing looks good. It's like I still haven't found what it is that I'm looking for. And I think for many people, that's a picture of life. 
They're hungering. They're thirsting for something. They, they eat a little bit of this. And I'm going to try a little bit of that. And I'm going to dabble over here. Only to come to this place and say, I still haven't found it. We're all in pursuit of something. And if you're in the room or watching online at a later date, man, we're, we've, we want to pursue something that finally satisfies. And the Bible offers a solution to that. But as we've been studying this, this blessed life, these beatitudes, uh, my mind keeps ro- rolling back to this guy named Solomon, who, who he tried a sampling from a whole lot of different plates only to find it didn't satisfy. Solomon was the son of David, Israel's best king. Solomon asked God for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. And Solomon becomes the wealthiest king ever in the history of humanity up to this point in time royalty from other lands would come to Israel to see Solomon and they'll say, man, I've heard about you, but like the riches, the wealth, it didn't even come close to this. The wisdom he had was profound. He wrote the book of Proverbs. And if you've you're not familiar with the book of Proverbs, the 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, enough for you to read uh, one chapter a day, every day of the month to get wisdom in our, in our life. But he didn't just write the book of Proverbs, he wrote this miserable book, a miserable but a depressing book uh, called the book of Ecclesiastes. And as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, over not 12 chapters, you see this guy's pursuit of things, longing to be satisfied, only to come up saying, I still haven't found what I'm... Um, looking for. So in chapter one, Solomon says, man, if I could just taste education, if I could just get that degree, if I could get, get that bachelor's, if I get that master's, if I get that certification, if I could hang that on my wall, then I'd be satisfied. And here's what he found, Ecclesiastes 1.18. For with such much wisdom comes much sorrow. He's like, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't really know a whole lot. The more knowledge, the more grief. And he continues at the very end of the book, chapter 12, he says, making many books, there is no end. Much study wearies the body. And all the students said, amen. (laughs) Chapter two, he says, man, education didn't fill the void. So maybe career is it. Maybe I should use my education to to, to work and to do do good things. So he throws himself into career. He says, man, I need a nice car. I need need to set some higher goals. Maybe if I achieve more, then then I'd find what I was looking for. And maybe if I could take my family on these exotic vacations, then if I had that status, then I I would be satisfied if I could just eat from that plate. And he says this in chapter two, Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. If it looked delicious, I ate it. If it was cold, I drank it. If it looked appealing, man, I, I, I had me some of that. He says, I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And it was a reward of all my toil. Yet I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve. Everything was meaningless. It looked so appealing, but it didn't, that meal didn't satisfy. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under heaven. So he thought, well, maybe if I don't just work and earn money, but maybe if I run the company, maybe if I was the CEO, maybe if I I had my own business, then then I, I would be satisfied. So he works harder and harder. He becomes this workaholic. His whole life is consumed with work and he dreads Mondays. Verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, so I hated life because the work that was done under the sun, I thought it would satisfy me, but it was grievous to me. 
And all that, that was, it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after. Like, I'm, I'm the one working hard, and it's, I'm going to die. So I'm just going to hand. It's all, it's all meaningless. And so he thinks education would satisfy. He thinks working hard would satisfy. Acquiring stuff would satisfy. And so he says, maybe I just need, maybe I just need more stuff. Maybe I need I need more things. In our context, it'd be like, maybe I need not just one Tesla, I need a whole fleet of Teslas. Not just one car, but a whole, whole army of muscle cars. Now, I mean, more Bentleys, more Rolls Royce. I need more. I need to buy not only that mansion, I need to buy multiple vacation homes and all the desirous destinations. And Solomon does it. He, he, you like art? He's like, man, I'll spend 100000 no problem. There it is. Adorn the wall. He thinks, then I'll, then I'll finally be satisfied. Then I'll finally find what I've been looking for. But in chapter 5, verse 10, he says, whoever loves money is never enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, you get more stuff. Well, then it's more to ensure, more to protect. you got to put a camera on it. So do those who consume it. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Like, yeah, $100,000 for the piece of art, but I just, I just get to look at it. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. And he goes from eating from the plate of education, eating from the place of career and achievement and goals and amassing large amounts of wealth, acquiring more and more stuff. And chapter 4, verse 8, he says, there is a man, he's all alone. He's talking about himself, and he realized there's something missing in his life, and it's relationships. He neither had son nor brothers. He's got all these people working for him, all these people around him, but he still feels alone. No one he can trust, no one he can confide in. So there's no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He realizes relationships are missing. And so from chapter 5 on, Solomon turns to wine, women, and rock and roll. Like he just goes all out. He, he's this... Is this mindset that like, like if one's good, two's better, right? Like if one shoe's good, two shoes are better. One TV's good, but two TV's. One car's nice, but two cars. One wife's good, two wives. My boy Solomon, look at this. First Kings 11 says he, he didn't just have two. He had 700 wives. My boy's got some women. Of royal birth. Like these are prestigious women. Like every color, every flavor, he's got them all. Not only that, he's got 300 concubines. Come on, somebody. He thought that would surely satisfy. That, uh, that guy, I long for a relationship, and the deepest relationship anyone could have is a marriage relationship. So I'm not just going to have one wife, man, I'm going to have 700 of them. One. Uh, college student went to his professor and said, heard this pastor say this once, went to his professor and said, man, how does Solomon, 700 wives, how could Solomon have 700 wives? That didn't make sense. And this student's looking for this profound theological response from his knowledgeable professor. And the professor looks at him and says, well, that's easy. Solomon had to have 700 wives. So whenever he came home, one of them would be happy. <laughs> I didn't say that. Another pastor said that. Can you... I'm, I'm gassed at that. I've already emailed the complaint, so I'm offended for you. 700 wives. And at the end of it, you know what he said? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
And, and, and so Solomon tastes from every food in the refrigerator, everything that looks good. Yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Nothing satisfies. And he comes to the end, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He says, the last and final words. Here's the conclusion. Fear God. Fear God. And you might be like, what does that mean? Like, how do I fear of the Lord? Like, what is, if fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's super important. But what does that even mean? Is that like, I'm afraid of him? Like, I'm afraid to talk to him? Not really, but kind of. I mean, because, not because you're afraid of him, but because, like, you recognize who he is. I mean, God, by the breath of his mouth, created the cosmos. Like, like one of the closest stars is 25 million light years away. Like, wow, he's big. And so from that, we revere him. But it's a different kind of word, different kind of fear. And to help us maybe grasp this a little better, I want to, I think this might help. So, so Deuteronomy 6, 13, let's just go here. It says, it says, fear the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, your God. This is in Deuteronomy. Now, if we were to fast forward to the New Testament in Matthew after his baptism, which, by the way, was like the catalyst to his ministry. Like he gets baptized and he goes in the desert immediately. The spirit leads him to the desert. 40 days, 40 nights, he's fasting. End of his fast, end of the 40 days, the devil comes and he's tempting Jesus. And what's his first temptation? Here's some food. Here's some, some bread. Here's some water. Fasting 40 days. That looks real. That plate looks real good. And Jesus, every temptation, all three temptations, there's multiple temptations, he documents three. Every time Jesus responds by quoting scripture and he always quotes Deuteronomy all three times, which just informs us in our journey with Jesus in this, as we engage in spiritual warfare, that the key to your success and mine is to understand God's word because the enemy will present some plates that look so good. And it'll promise if you eat from this plate, you'll be satisfied. And it looks so appealing. And so we just need to, to arm ourselves with God's word. So when the temptation comes, and it will come, you're equipped with God's word just as Jesus was. But what I want to point out is that this, this passage, if you go back to Deuteronomy 6.13, this, this passage, let's go back to the previous slide if you could. Perfect. It says, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, now, Jesus changes this, fear the Lord your God, to this. Look at it, Matthew 4.10. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He changes fear of God for worship, which I think is, helps us maybe grasp what fearing the Lord is. It's not, not like I'm afraid of him, but I realize he's worthy. I realize he's worthy of my worship. I realize you're God and I'm not. I recognize God for who he is. And I just say, man, God, whatever you ask, you're worthy of my worship. And as a matter of fact, it's you alone who's worthy of my worship. And so it's not just we're afraid of him. It's that, God, we're just going to worship you for all that you are. Now back to Ecclesiastes 12, 13. It says, the, the, the last and final word is this. Fear the Lord. Like, worship him. Recognize he's God, you're not, so let him call the shots. And that's what he says next. Do what he tells you. Like if you see God for who he is, then this is the only logical next step. God, whatever you say, I'm, I'm going to do it. He says, and that's it. Like you can sample a whole lot of plates, but if you want a life that satisfies, it's found right here. Fear the Lord, recognize who he is, worship him. 
do what he says, that leads to a life that satisfies. That's it. Eventually, and here's why this is important, because eventually God will bring everything that we do out into the open and judge it according to the hidden intent, whether good or bad. He puts eternity back into perspective in our daily life. How do we find a life that satisfies? St. Augustine put it this way, thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Until we come to this place where we say, God, you're worthy of it all. I'm going to fear you. I'm going to worship you. And I'm going to live my life and just do what you say. Because I've chased after a whole lot of things that looked real good, but they didn't satisfy. So how do, we, how do we apply this? How do we do this? How do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? And what does righteousness even mean? And so this is where our notes are going to begin to, uh, to, to, to surface. And so today, it's like we're standing at the refrigerator door of life and God's offering you something That'll satisfy your soul. All of the plates look appealing. Solomon discovered it. I'm guessing you've probably discovered that. You've dabbled, tried some things, thinking it would satisfy because it looks so good. Only leave you longing for something else. Realize it's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. But if you're hungry for righteousness, satisfaction is in your future. Proverbs 21.21 says this, whoever pursues righteousness... And love finds life, prosperity, and honor. And don't we want that? That's what we all want. We all want, want that life. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. And honestly, this is a little bit frustrating a lot of times as communicators, as people who are teaching God's words. Sometimes it's frustrating for me because I know, like, hey, if you apply this, it will lead to what you've always wanted. But week after week, sometimes it feels like, yeah, that sounds good. And we just go back to living life how we had the previous week. But I'm just telling you, if you apply this, if you, if you set righteousness as your goal this week, you'll begin to taste a life that actually satisfies. That U2 song won't be your anthem any longer. So I want to just talk to you about two things that keep us from being hungry for God. Then I want to give you two things that, that will help us pursue God and pursue righteousness and get all of all of God. But first, um, here's one reason why we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. The first thing is, I, I think it's because we fill up on the wrong things. We, we, God offers us a plate, but we're already full because we've eaten some, some other stuff. We've already eaten. Uh, I, man, I, like I said, I love food. And so there's, there's always opportunity to eat, I feel like. And so back in high school, uh, we were going to this, this party. Uh, my friend was having a party, and I knew he was, his parents had some money, but I wasn't sure they were going to feed us dinner there or whatever. So, so me and my buddy that I was riding with in the Midwest, they have these, these gas stations called Quick Trip. Uh, I also have Casey's, which makes really good pizza if you're ever in, like, rural Midwest. Uh, it's clog your arteries, but it's delicious. Um, so Quick Trip, we go. I'm like, I don't think there might not be food at this party, so let's go grab something to eat. So we stop for a gas station dinner. And my go-to is on those little, little things that, that go up and down with the hot dogs and stuff. Jalapeno cheddar dogs. That's my go-to. And so I had a jalapeno cheddar dog. And, uh, you know, we're grabbing chips. Like my buddy's grabbing Reese's, like Slurpees. Like we're in high school, so it didn't matter what we ate. Like it was just good. Now it's like... Different story. But, uh, but, but so we fill up on all this gas station food and we get to the party and it is like 
something I've never seen before. Like they're feeding salmon. I had never even heard of salmon, much less tried salmon, but they're cooking it and they got this chef station just cooking salmon. Another chef like on a grill, just cooking different, they had three different types of steak. And I'm like, and then they had like vegetables and all this other stuff. But, <laughs> but I was so full from a jalapeno cheddar dog. My buddy filled up on Reese's Cups and Slurp. We filled up on gas station food. And it was like this experience of a lifetime. But we were so full. We're like, I don't even think salmon's good because I was so full on a jalapeno cheddar dog. But I think for many of us, it's like that. God offers us something that would satisfy. But on the way to the banquet, we're just like, gas station grub, let's go. It's something quick, easy, looks appealing. But here's what I know, man, a lot of that, like Ecclesiastes is that. Like, like what would your story be? What would your Ecclesiastes story be? What was your pursuit of happiness? What did you try? What did you dabble in? If you were to write the book of Ecclesiastes, what would your story go? And here's the reality, like sin looks good and it's pleasurable for a season. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Hebrews eleven twenty four says it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Like he could have been royalty. He, he chose to share in the oppression, royalty or oppression. He chose oppression with God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let's look at Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews 11, if you could pull it up for us. Yeah, it says fleeting pleasures of sin. Like it, it, just to be clear, like sin, it, it looks real attractive. That plate of food looks real appealing, but it doesn't satisfy. He, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward ahead to his great reward. He, he was going to set aside some things that, that looked appealing to, for some that actually would, would satisfy. And for all you who may be hungry... <laughs> All of you say, man, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Isaiah 55, the Lord says, all you who are thirsty, come and drink. Those of you who have no money, come, buy, eat, come, buy wine, milk, without money, without cost. Why spend money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? Listen closely to me and you will eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy rich food that actually satisfies your soul. Can I just offer you one thought today? Maybe if you have not found what you've always been looking for, maybe it's time to try a different meal. Maybe, maybe it's time to, to set up to the table with God and do things God's way. It'll, it'll, he's got food for you that'll satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And for some of you, maybe it's not that you've intentionally filled up on the wrong things. For some of us, if we're honest, we consciously Make the choice and not take the food God's offering. We say, yeah, God, I know that, but eh. And that's my second point. We will never experience, we've never experienced the goodness of God. Why don't we, why don't we eat what he offers? Why don't we, we pursue righteousness? One, maybe we're filled up on the wrong things. Or two, maybe we just haven't experienced really how good God is. Maybe we just haven't applied his word and experienced that his word is actually, actually true. And I don't know if you've ever done this or know someone who's done this, but maybe someone's offered you some food and before you ever even taste it, you're like, nah, not doing that. <laughs> that, that rarely happens to me these days because I just love food and I'm willing to, you put it in front of me, I'm willing to try it. I might not eat the whole plate. I'll try it though. 
But back in the day, uh, I remember that wasn't always that way. And uh, we went to Wendy's one time, me and my buddy. And uh, like a normal human, I ordered a junior bacon cheeseburger, some fries, and a soda. And uh, my buddy, he orders a large fry and a large frosty. And I'm like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. And so we sit down to eat, and uh, I'm eating my burger, my fries, dipping it in ketchup like a normal human. He takes his fries like a spoon into his chocolate shake and begins shoveling it into his mouth. I love fries and I love chocolate shakes, but the two worlds should never collide in my book. And so I make fun of him and I'm like, this is so gross. I can't believe you're doing that. And he's like, bro, you haven't even tried it. He's like, if I buy you a Frosty and I buy you another round of fries, would you try it? And I'm like, free Frosty and fries, why not? And so, so I take the fries, dip it in the Frosty, and that was the day my world changed. <laughs> Fries and Frosties go good together. Real, not just a little bit, but real good. But sometimes we treat God that way. We say, we, God, I know your word says I should get baptized. And if I do, that you would, you would, you would bless me for taking a step of obedience. But nah, I'm not. Water, yes. Church, yes. Two worlds should never collide. And I'm just saying you're missing out on the goodness of God in your life. Some people say, yeah, tithe. I know God's word talks about that. I know Tiffany, she talks, Chris talks, they talk about it every Sunday. But nah, before you ever even taste it, you, you, you say not for me. And you're, I'm just saying you're missing out on God opening the floodgates of heaven over your life and pouring out so much blessing that you can't even contain it. But you reject it before you taste it. So Jesus came to be to serve and not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. So you, people up here like, hey, if you want to serve, you can. You're like, nah, <laughs> I put in my time. I'm good. I'm just, you, we don't miss out. You miss out. And I'm just, I'm just trying to help you. You're missing like fries in the frosty. It would be so good if you just taste it. <laughs> if you would just taste and see some of you feel like you're plateaued in your spiritual journey. Feel like, man, I was really growing at one point. Now I just feel like I flatlined. Why is that? And I would just suggest you'll never feel like you're fully alive until you start leading something. God's poured so much into you, and you'll feel like I'm flatlining until you start pouring your what He's poured in, He poured out into other people. Taste and see. Psalm says that. Psalms 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's our word: blessed. Happy many times over, content, satisfied is the one who takes refuge in him. And that sounds so poetic because it is. But the way you take refuge in God is that you take action on what God's telling you. You taste it. You don't just read about it. You don't just learn about fries and a frosty. Now you go to Wendy's and you smash that after church. And you're going to find out it's so good. No, that's just... I'm not endorsed by Wendy's or anything, but it's pretty good. And uh, moderation's the key there. All right. Some people say, yeah, I would, I would taste it, but man, I got church hurt. And they talk about church hurt and they carry this around. And, and if that's you, I would just say, man, don't, don't stiff arm what God's offering you just because someone else didn't serve the meal the right way. Don't, don't give up on God. Just pull up to that table. Pull up to that table. There's more goodness there to eat. Ephesians 3.18, and this is my prayer. I pray, I pray that you may have power together with all the saints 
God's holy people to grasp, to take hold of something. That, that word literally means to, to take a hold of something that wasn't yours before, to, to adhere to something, to have something that you didn't have prior. I pray that you would grasp, that you take hold of how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge. Like, you, I just can't articulate it to you. I can't describe it to you. You just got to taste it. That you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. That's what he wants for you. And that's my prayer for you. God has so much more for you. More than, I know you know a lot. There's more. I know you've experienced a lot. There's more. I, I know you've grown a lot. There's more growth to be had. There's more goodness of God waiting for you on the other side of your obedience. Taste and see. And here's my invitation. Just go all in with God. As many of you are new here. Just go all in with God. And maybe you've never heard me offer this. Give God a year of your life. He'll change your life. Show up. Just keep showing up for a year. And whenever we, we do church-wide fast, you fast. When we talk about, about giving, you give. We talk about serving, join a serve team. We talk about groups, jump in and do life with other people. Taste and see that God's good. And here's my promise. If you do that for you, you go all in with God. You take action steps. You come back in a year. I, I guarantee you'll say, God has changed my life. And if you don't say that, if that's not your story, I'll go find another church with you. God will change your life. He, he's that good. His word is, is true. You'll say on July 16th, 2023, I'm so glad I went all in with God because I finally found something that satisfies my soul. He has so much more for you. He's just waiting for you to go all in. So, so here's two reasons. So there's two reasons why we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me give you two reasons uh, why we, how we can hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I'm going to do that by defining, unpacking this definition. What is, what is righteousness? What does that even mean? There's really two definitions of, of righteousness. Here's the first one. Righteousness, here's what it is, is right standing with God. It's when you're right with God and you'll never find peace in your soul until you, you're right with God. You know before God, when, when you lay your head on the pillow, you can go to sleep at night knowing, I'm right with him. The way, it'll feel like the weight of the world's off your shoulders. That's where death loses its sting. That's where the fear of death is no more because you know, I'm going to go see my creator and I just can't wait for it. And man, I, I, hope, I hope you take hold of that. Righteousness is right standing with God. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The New Century Version puts it this way. Uh, God makes people right with himself. The good news shows us how, how God, like understanding the gospel, is how we can be made right with God. And it changes everything. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standards. Like we've missed the mark. We've sinned. We've blown it. We're worthy of wrath. But yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness 
for he himself is fair and just. And here it is. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So how do we take hold of righteousness? How do we apply this to our life this week? How do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? This this desire, God, I just want to be right with you. And if that's you, here's their next point. We're made right with God by coming into a relationship with him. Like having a relationship with him, not not religion, not church attendance, but like knowing God, hearing from heaven, having God speak to you about things in your life, applying his word, taking action on it, tasting the scene. God's really good. Romans 5.9 says, and since... We have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. We will certainly be saved from God's condemnation. For since our friendship, I love that word, since our friendship uh, with God, we, we were restored. It was restored through the death of his son. We're still, well, we're still his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we rejoice in this wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's made us friends of God. Was enemies restored friendship. He wants to be your, your best friend. He wants you, man, you just make this your goal. I'm going to get as close to God as I can. And you're going to find out he's a whole lot better than you thought. And you're going to find life that actually satisfies the deepest longings of your soul. So we're made right or righteous with God by putting our trust in Jesus. And then... Next thing is the next definition. So, so we have right standing with God by relationship with Jesus. But there's also this other understanding of righteousness that we need to take hold of, that righteousness is right living on earth, right living on earth. And whenever you hunger and thirst for right living, when you hunger and thirst to do life God's way, because remember, we fear him, we worship him, we realize he's God and I'm not. So therefore, we just obey what he says. That's righteousness. That's right living here on earth. On earth, and maybe you've been in church for years and you say, Man, I've been to church, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. My question to you would be, Have you taken this seriously? Because when you take right living seriously, it changes things. We talked about that in our study of Romans with sanctification, this, this process of, of living life as Jesus lived. And that's where the abundant life's found, that's where the good life is found. But unfortunately, many people outside the church miss it. and and many people inside the church miss it. And why is that? Well, Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it just leads to death. Like the plate looks so appealing versus this right living sometimes doesn't look super appetizing. But all this other stuff looks real appetizing. But you just, we just need to know there's a way. It seems right to us. But in the end, it just leads to Leads to death. Romans 6:13 says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who, as those who have been bought, brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. So He's saying, Now I'm going to use my body, my, my actions, my life, I'm going to use it to bring you whatever you want, I'm in. I'm going to do things your way. That's right living, righteous living. Here's the next fill in the blank, the final fill in the blank. We have right living on earth by pursuing the lifestyle God intended. When we actually don't just understand it, but we live it. When we take action on it. Romans 6, 16 says this. Don't you realize 
that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey. And that is a choice. You become a slave to whatever plate you choose to eat from. All of us stand at the refrigerator of life and there's some plates that look very appealing, look very attractive, look like, man, that would, that would bring me so much joy, contentment, and peace. That would satisfy if I would just eat some of that. And God offers another plate. And, and honestly, a right living doesn't look always appetizing, but you get to choose. You get to choose. The mantra of our generation is you do you. Oh, you want to do that? That's fine. You do you. you oh, you want to do the church? That's fine. You do you. And can I, if that's your mantra, you can choose that. You can do you. But I would just ask, how's that working out for you? Are you satisfied? Are you content? Have you found passion and purpose in your life? Would you describe your experience in life right now as, man, I'm living the abundant life, the good life, the satisfied life? And again, if not, maybe it's time to try a different meal. It goes on to say, you can be a slave to sin. That's a choice. You can choose it, but you need to know it leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God that leads to, look at this, righteous living. How do we live rightly? How do we, how do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Will we hunger and thirst to, to do things God's way, choose to obey God? It leads to righteous living. And Paul knows that Jesus' words in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, that if you do it, you'll be blessed. And so he erupts. He's like, thank God. You're doing it. You're experiencing the good life. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly, and this is so key, because you can't tiptoe into this water. You got to say, God, here I am. All I am, all my hopes, all my dreams, all, everything, every aspect of my life, even the stuff I don't even want to talk about. God, I'm wholeheartedly, I'm going all in with you. You wholeheartedly obey this teaching of, of God's word we have given you. And now you're free from slavery to sin and you have become slaves of righteous living. And it's a choice. And you and I get to choose what we're going to eat from this week. And I just hope you choose the plate of righteousness because it'll actually satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. But it's a choice. Proverbs 12, 28 says, in the way of righteousness, there is life. Not just that you're alive, but it's life upon life. It's a vibrancy. And not only is there life, but there's heaven involved here too. And I know you want that. And man, I just, I want it so bad for you. I'm about to jump out of my skin trying to communicate it to you. He, there's more for you. I want to close with a, a story. I thought about reading it to you, but I'm just going to tell it to you. It's found in John chapter 4, and, and Jesus and his disciples are, are traveling, and they, they come to this village of Samaria, and Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to sit here, boys. You guys can go on ahead, get us some food, um, and we'll have lunch here. And it's the heat of the day, and Jesus very rarely separated from his disciples, but at this moment he does. He sits down at this well, and as he sits down, this woman comes out, uh, to get water in the middle of the day. And Jesus is like, hey, could you get me a, a drink of water? And she's like, I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman and you're a Jew. And Jews don't talk to people like me and you're a dude. And dudes don't talk to women. So what are you doing here? And in a moment, Jesus smashes like 
cultural barriers and gender barriers. And he engages this woman in conversation. And she's like, he's like, well, you don't have a ladle. You can't get anything to drink. And Jesus looks at her and says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink. And I would give you living water that would satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Matter of fact, it would well up as a spring inside of you. And not only would you be satisfied, but your life would bring satisfaction and healing to everyone else around you. And she, she said, hey, well, if you got that kind of water, Jesus, like, give me some, I'll take it. And Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, you're right, you've had five. And her Ecclesiastes story was, number one, didn't satisfy. So I thought I'd try this one, left me empty. I thought this one would bring me contentment, left me dry. On and on and on, didn't satisfy. And she says, man, you must be a prophet because like, you know stuff about me that no one could know. What are you talking about? She says, hey, and he said, ah, we, you guys worship there, we worship, who does it right? And she says, man, I know when the Messiah comes, he's going to satisfy. Whenever, whenever the, the deliverer comes, then, then everything will be right. And look at what Jesus says in John 4, 26. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. And now as I was studying for this, I just thought, this is a word for you. For all you who have said, I still haven't found what I've been looking for. You're waiting. Life that satisfies. You don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to look any further. Jesus is here. And he's just waiting for you to go all in with him. And when you do, you'll finally find what you've been looking for. Jesus put it this way. Let's go back to the scripture. Blessed, happy, satisfied are those who make this their top priority. Just as you hunger and thirst for food and drink, you hunger, you long for righteousness. God, I just want to be right with you. God, I see this in your word and God, I long to live it out. I'm going to apply it to my life. If you do that, his promise to you today is that you will be filled. Let's pray.